0: let's uh, take a few moments of silent prayer to make sure we are prepared to study worship the lord tonight as we uh, learn from mitch and i will then i will open in prayer and he will uh, come up to teach let's pray Our Father, we're just so grateful that we have this opportunity to come together as a body of believers in Jesus Christ, members of the church, the bride of Christ, to be uh, edified, strengthened in our understanding of your word and understanding the importance of uh, communicating the gospel clearly to our Jewish friends and neighbors. Father, we're thankful for the ministry of Chosen People Ministries and just the worldwide impact they have had all the way back to their very founding uh, uh, over 100 years ago, and we're thankful for Mitch's ministry, and pray that you continue to give him great health and uh, energy as he continues to lead chosen people. So, Father, we're thankful for our opportunity to study tonight, and ask that you bless this time in Christ's
1: name. Amen. There you go. Does that work? Yeah. Shalom. Shalom, then.
0: <laughs> it's like Acts two; you got the gift of speech. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, it's not, not easy to see the sort of the McDonald face on that one, but I got it. i'm I'm good now. I'm good. Uh, it's wonderful to be here to be able to share a little bit about reaching Jewish people for Jesus. Uh, and I have quite a bit to talk about tonight, and uh, and I know that you're everybody here already understands Israel's role in God's plan. I understand that, You've been hearing a lot about this for years and years and years. And so, thankfully, I don't have to do that then. (laughs) So I'm building on a foundation. And so my hope is to try and help you better understand Jewish people today and be able to share the gospel with Jewish people and maybe teach you a few tricks of the trade. And so I've been a believer for, I can't, I don't know, pump, some of you, I'm sure, have been believers longer than me, but I came to faith when I was 19, so that was in 1970. Do the math, you know. Uh, but it's really a joy to know the Lord, and it's a joy to... Uh, uh, I'm I'm right up against my birthday, my spiritual birthday, so that's going to be November 1970. And so I, I think it's going to be 53 years. Do you ever think, look at yourself and say, I should have made more progress.
0: Excuse me a minute. I have to, your, 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 the mic's too far from your
1: mouth. I, I love these new mics because it gets it builds intimacy between <laughs> pastors and speakers.
0: All right. That should do it.
1: <laughs> Is that good? There you go. You know, there's a discussion on what conducts the sound better, up there or down there. Right.
0: <laughs> I think you got it. <laughs>
1: It's a boring discussion. So anyway, so uh, this evening, uh, I'd like to just share a little bit about uh, uh, how, to, how to understand Jewish people and how to present the gospel to Jewish people. So, you know, the, there was a little, little girl went shopping with her mother, and it seems that uh, her mother went to a really good church. I think it was West Houston Baptist Bible Church, I think. Yeah, Bible Church. And uh, so she knew all about the Jewish people and everything. And uh, she was going through the checkout line. And uh, the girl was wearing a Jewish star who was doing the checkout. And the little girl was about eight or nine years old and was going through the line and saw the Jewish star and turned to her mom and said, Mom, what's that? She said, That's a Jewish star. And the little girl said, Oh, is she, is she Jewish? And mom said, yeah, she's Jewish. And the little girl said, wow, she doesn't look that old. So some people people think the Jewish people kind of walked out of the Old Testament and still have their sandals dusty. Uh, But, you know, we've got a long history, 5,000 plus years at least. And so there's a lot that's happened between the Abrahamic covenant and today. And so I know that you know a lot of that, but I'd love to be able to share with you some practical hints maybe on how to understand Jewish people and, and so on. And uh Houston Jewish population is growing. Uh, the whole state of Texas, the Jewish population is growing. Most of them are going to Austin, but, you know, the whole <laughs> the population's growing. And uh we know that there's well over 100,000 Jewish people in the state of Texas. And and so that's split between a lot of different cities. But without a doubt, some, you know, Dallas and Houston are neck and neck. Dallas probably still has a bit more. But um, one of my good friends who leads a congregation in Dallas said that they think they're approaching 100,000 Jewish people. But I didn't want to get into some kind of Jewish Houston-Dallas rivalry personally, you know. And so I didn't argue. Uh, But there are a lot of Jewish people uh, in Houston, and you're going to have some really good opportunities to share the gospel with Jewish people because uh, when God scattered the Jewish people, he did a pretty good job. So we are everywhere. And so I I am now about to deputize you as my emissaries, if that's okay. And so I have no badges for you, but if you really want a badge, I can get you one but I want you to, to be able to proclaim the gospel to Jewish people that I'll, I'll never meet and our staff will never meet. And so you have those opportunities because, as you'll see, the gospel, the bridge that the gospel crosses best is through relationships. And so maybe we can, we can work on, on some of that. So you ready to go? Okay. So let's get a few things straight. So we always begin with Scripture, and uh, Jesus was talking to a bunch of Greek Jewish people that had come up for one of the festivals, and he, he ended up telling them this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You've heard about this? And no one comes to the Father but through me. So he's the way, the truth, and the life for Gentiles as well as Jews. And so there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It's, it's Jesus. You can say it in Hebrew, Yeshua, but it's still the same name. So if there's anybody who thinks because of the favorable way that Jewish people have engaged in a covenant with God, that doesn't mean that Jewish people are personally saved through those covenants. So the Davidic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, certainly the Mosaic covenant, it does not save you personally. Uh, there are national plans for Israel and individual plans for Israel. And the only way a Jewish person who's part of these national covenants has personal redemption granted to them as a gift from God is by accepting Jesus as their Messiah. And so you might, well, we'll, we'll, we'll go to Romans 11 in just a second. But Paul writes and I put to the Jew at least, because sometimes Jewish evangelism becomes the great omission of the great commission. And, uh, and and there's a fundamental mistake, and I'll explain it in just a moment as to why that happens. But Paul says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. To all who believe, can't miss that. Remember what God said to Abraham? Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so... As God was getting more particular, he was also expanding and becoming more universal. That's not a good word for Christians sometimes, but I mean it in the best of senses, that everybody, everybody can get saved by believing in Jesus. Isn't that good news? So it's not just Jews. (laughs) And so the gospel is the power, the dunamis of God unto salvation to all who believe. And then there's that tricky phrase, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, and there's been, of course, a lot of discussion about that. I'm pretty simple on these issues. And so when somebody says, what do you think he meant? I said, I think he meant that the gospel should go to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And if he meant was, the gospel was to the Jew first and now is to the Greek. If if that was the case, it seems to me that the Apostle Paul knew his grammar. And so he he did have a a good sense of the present tense versus the past tense. And I've read the wackiest arguments about this because sometimes we don't know what to do with it. How do we bring the gospel to the Jewish people first when we don't know that many Jewish people? And so, you know, for me in my personal life, I could do to the Jew first, you know, probably a half a day, you know, and then I could just move on to the Gentiles. Now, if you were me and lived in Brooklyn, you'd have the opposite problem. The Gentiles would never hear the gospel because <laughs> we have almost a million Jewish people in one of five boroughs of New York City. And so the gospel is to the Jew first, but there's a reason why the gospel is to the Jew first. And there's a reason why Paul went to the synagogues first. There, there are, there's a, a deep theological reason for it. And that is that the Jewish people Certainly had a part in the first coming of Christ, but you see the Jewish people also have a part in the second coming of Christ. And I can honestly say based on scripture that if you want to see Jesus return, start sharing the gospel with Jewish people. And that's why we have Romans 11, 12 through 15. Because we know that in, at one, in one moment, all Israel will be saved. Romans 11, 25. So let me read this passage, because I will get it wrong. Let me read it to you, because it's, it's really fundamental and important, and should motivate us. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm ready for the second coming. I'm ready for the rapture. I'll take whatever comes, you know? And uh, I know in this church, you all still believe in a, in a rapture. That's nice. I go to a lot of churches where they look at me funny when I say it. So Paul writes in Romans eleven twenty five, 25, for I don't want you brothers and sisters to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. A partial hardening has happened to Israel. It's partial. If it wasn't partial, I wouldn't be here tonight. It's a partial hardening. Not all Jewish people are hardened. So a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That's an important statement because that demonstrates that Gentile evangelism Is on the clock. You realize that? Jesus said it. He said, Work while it's day because night's coming. There's no doubt that this is one of the most important, profound passages in Scripture that should motivate Christians to do missions. Because the day is going to come when the door is going to shut on the Gentiles. That day is coming. I didn't say it, Paul did. And so we continue. So, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and by the way, I just, I just I put this out there sometimes just, you know, to get some help. If you have the email or a Facebook message or a WhatsApp number for the last Gentile, would you share that with me? Okay, because I'll go anywhere in the world, and Robbie will go with me just to tell that person about Jesus. Then we can get the rest of the show on the road, you know? But I can't find them. So just as it's written, the deliverer will come from Zion, remove ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And then we go, jump to the end of it. And I love verses uh, 28 and 29. In relation to the gospel, they're enemies on your account. But in relation to God's choice, that's the Greek word eklegos, which means election, In relation to God's choice, they are beloved on account of the fathers. So the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, is beloved because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are the fathers. And the Abrahamic covenant was not only given to Abraham, but it was reiterated very clearly to Isaac and Jacob. And so because of God's faithfulness to an unconditional covenant, we need to share the gospel with Jewish people because when the gospel, when the Jewish people believe the gospel, oh boy, you know, that's when we get the whole enchilada. The, everything gets wrapped up. And then I, I love verse 29 because he, he expresses, Paul expresses something about the character of God. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. You believe that? We have a promise-keeping God. You know, the, the old theolo- theologians, I guess, in the early Middle Ages, asked things like, uh, can God make a stone so heavy that he can't uh, throw it? Or can God, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? These are important questions. I suggest you talk about them among, within your families uh, for breakfast. You know, but, but ask yourself the real question, and that is, can God make a promise that he can't keep? or that he won't keep, if he promised to keep it. No. Do you realize that that is something about the character of God? And God is immutable, unchangeable in his character. So it means that God cannot break a promise. That covenant with Abraham is locked tight. There are no stipulations. There's no time. There's actually no effort on the part of, of Israel. And if there's effort on the part of Israel, God makes them do it. And so it's an unconditional promise. So the day's coming when all of you will be speaking Hebrew. Okay. So we understand it. So why to the Jew first? Because when the Jews believe in Jesus, Jesus returns. And uh, if what Paul says in Romans 11, uh, 12 and verse 15, basically, I'll give you Glazer's uh, summary. If you think that you've been blessed because of what Jesus did in the first coming. Just wait. Do you see what happens next? (laughs) There's more coming. Teteleus he He's finished. His work is done. But the rollout of blessings will continue forever. All right. So who is a Jew? Let's get down to some fundamentals. They're a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the Bible, it's basically through the father, but in Judaism and Jewish history, it's through the mother. Why? We don't really know, but the tradition is that during the Roman period, there were a lot of rapes of Jewish women by Romans. Therefore, sometimes you didn't know who the father was, but you always knew who the mother was. I've had two kids, so I, I know that that's true. Okay. I do know who the mother is. And so there's no doubt that uh, this is an interesting point uh, for a lot of Jewish people, especially when they want to make Aliyah, which literally means to go up, but become citizens of Israel based on the law of return. And so if you do not have a Jewish mother, you cannot make Aliyah and be considered Jewish. If you have a Jewish father and a Gentile mother, you can make Aliyah, you can become a citizen of Israel, but you will not be called, you will not be deemed Jewish because the rabbinic definition on this issue holds tight. The national definition, well, listen, Israel wants anybody who can pick up a, a gun, you know, and, uh, and pay taxes. That's just an extra benefit. And so there's a lot of leeway. Um, can a Jewish believer in Jesus make Aliyah? Even if they have a Jewish mother, a Jewish father. It's easier for a Jewish believer, it's nuts, but it's easier for a Jewish believer to make aliyah, become a citizen of Israel based on the law of return, if they have a Jewish father as opposed to a Jewish mother. Because if you have a Jewish mother, then you will be deemed Jewish. But the rabbis don't want to deem us Jewish because we believe in Jesus and therefore we're apostates. So if you're just, if your father's Jewish, you can make aliyah but you can't be considered Jewish. That solves all the theological problems the rabbis have. Now, today, that's heated up. It's worse than it was five years ago because right now, Benjamin Netanyahu has formed a coalition government. It's a British system. It's a parliamentary system. Uh, You don't become the prime. You're not elected the prime minister. You're elected the head of your party. If your party has the majority, then whoever's the head of the party becomes the prime minister and so Netanyahu in order to have the 66 seats uh to uh, have the major enough of a majority he had to enlist uh, a number of ultra orthodox smaller parties to come into his coalition and because of that they didn't do it for free and so the, the ultra orthodox I mean uh, that surely happens in America everybody compromises with such a, a good nature we've seen that all week you know uh but In Israel, what that has now done is it shifted the dynamic because now the more ultra-Orthodox Jewish people have a lot more say on national life. And the secular Jewish people are not real happy about this. And so they're all mad at Netanyahu. Not that they would have gone and stood with Netanyahu necessarily for other reasons. So Americans love Netanyahu. Uh, I've never met him. Um, but I have friends who know him and uh, I'd like to meet him sometime because the first thing I do is ask him why, whether or not he believes in Jesus. Uh, again, who is a Jew? Here's the big debate. Is being Jewish an ethnic, religious identity? Uh, an ethnic identity or is it a religious identity? And of course, the answer to that is yes. So, a lot of your jewish friends you might say well they don't believe in jesus but they don't even know anything about judaism have you ever heard of that before you know or they don't even they don't even celebrate the holidays so why don't they believe in jesus you're assuming that they have a religious objection they don't have a religious objection they have a, a nationalistic ethnic cultural objection you see not believing in Jesus is a result of the way Jewish people feel they were treated by, quote-unquote, Christians throughout the centuries, and that was not good. And therefore, Jewish people don't want to believe in Jesus because Jesus, through his, quote-unquote, I keep doing a lot of air quotes, through his, his, quote-unquote, church, Jesus has, seems to be the enemy of the Jewish people. So my two best friends became believers in Jesus and the Jesus movement. Now I can speak about this because everybody's seen the, the Jesus revolution. If not, you should see it. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's clean. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And it tells a great story about what God did. Uh, and, uh, you know, I am a self-confessed uh, Jesus freak. And I found out that your pastor is a Jesus freak too. So that's nice. You know, we have that in common. and And so... Um, they became believers. They witnessed to me. I thought they were nuts. I yelled at them. I got mad at them, and uh, and everything else. They encouraged me to read my own Bible, their Bible, the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish Bible. But I read it in English instead of Hebrew because my Hebrew was a little wonky. But I was able to read it. But I don't really understand it. So I read it in English. And lo and behold, I know it, I know why it became a bestseller. It's so wonderful, you know, the Old Testament. Uh, I, have, I have a good friend, you, somebody, a uh, few of you might know, Dr. Walter Kaiser, who's an Old Testament professor and, uh, in a number of schools. Somebody once, he preached a message from the New Testament, and somebody came up to him and said, Dr. Kaiser, you preach from the New Testament. You're an Old Testament guy. So, and he says, oh, yeah, no, 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 I like the New Testament. I really, really like the New Testament. It reminds me of the Old so the Old Testament's great. Everybody should read it uh, at least once or twice a year. And so the Old Testament's wonderful. And I realized that all my years of Hebrew school, which was six really long years of going three or four days a week to, to Hebrew school before I was got my bar mitzvah. I was a very pretty orthodox uh, synagogue. Uh, but I missed a lot. So when I began reading it in English, because my friends challenged me, I started seeing all sorts of interesting things like King David had a relationship with God. I thought he was just like a military hero, you know, and Abraham was our forefather and, you know, that was always nice, but he had this interesting relationship with God too. So all of these Jewish heroes of mine, and Moses, I could take relief, you know, but um, Moses seemed to be a kind of a tough character, but but Moses had this relationship with God too. And all of a sudden I, I realized that my people had this great relationship, intimate relationship with God. And my friends told me that I could have that same relationship, that personal relationship, by believing in Jesus. I was going to outsmart them and try and have that relationship with God without Jesus, because if I had it without Jesus, then I wouldn't have to tell my mother, which would not go well and definitely didn't go well. And... But, of course, I found out you couldn't have it without Jesus. And as I was um, reading the the New Testament, I prayed and asked God to show me the truth. I found the New Testament in a phone booth, modern English version. My brain was dripping out my ears because of drugs, you know. And so I had no brain left. And so I really needed an easy version. Uh, And so I found this modern English version in a phone booth in the middle of the Redwood Forest the day I asked God to show me how to get to him. Happens all the time, I know. And so I stole the Bible and I began reading it. It was the good news for modern man. You know, I'm very picky about translations now. It's a a non-literal translation. Anyway, so I read it. And honestly, I kept waiting to, I kept waiting to pin the charge of anti-Semitism on Jesus. I literally thought, that he was the fountainhead of anti Semitism. I mean, I grew up in New York City. If I was, we didn't have Bible churches in New York or Baptist churches even that I knew of, but uh, we had a lot of Catholic churches. And so if I was walking down the street and the Catholic church was on my side of the street, I might cross the street just to not walk by. It doesn't make any sense, but it was culture. The number one reason Jewish people do not believe in Jesus is not because of religious reasons. It's because it's culturally foreign and the understanding of Christianity is adverse, that Christians hate Jews, which means because you don't hate Jews, (laughs) you love Jewish people and you love the Jewish Messiah, who's Jewish. Because of that, you're the perfect group of people to share the gospel with Jewish people because they're expecting the worst and you'll give them the best. So it's ideal. And that's actually what happened to me. I met this whole group of Christians and I kept waiting for them to mess up, you know, and they just didn't. They loved everybody. They really loved the Jewish people. They thought it was great. And, and I just ended up giving up and saying, I'm all yours. And uh, that was 53 years ago. So don't expect your Jewish friends to necessarily be religious. It's a whole other set of uh, challenges, and uh, we witness to the ultra-religious day in and day out in Brooklyn, in Israel, and many other places. We we do it all the time, but the objections are very different than the Jew- most of the Jewish people that you will know, who will be probably more secular. So, so who is a Gentile? Some of you are sitting there wondering that. Well, if you ask yourself, what I usually will say is, how many of you are Jewish? And then, you know, one or two people raise their hands and said, well, the rest of you are Gentiles. So it's pretty easy to understand. Uh, One person got upset with me because they thought I called them a pagan and they were a Christian. (laughs) Not exactly. I mean, maybe they were, but I didn't know their lifestyle, you know. But to me, they were just not Jewish. So anybody who's not a Jew, uh, the exceptions, of course, are proselytes or converts. And Judaism does allow converts. And so Ruth is considered to be the mother of all converts. And isn't it neat that she was in the lineage of Jesus? And, of course, King David, you know, goes to show that though God had a plan for Israel and cared for Israel, he never, ever, ever forgot about the Gentiles, which I, I like that. Uh, So who is a Christian? Well, I hope I don't have to explain this in depth uh, to you. But a Jew or a Gentile who puts their trust in Jesus as Messiah, believes that he died for their sins, that he rose from the dead. That's helpful to believe in the resurrection, by the way, that he rose from the dead. And you understand that it's nothing that you do that makes you a Christian. I think that's a very important part. Uh, because there are other versions of Christianity which have a long list of things you need to do to become a Christian or to stay a Christian. And we're not the kind of people that would go with that, right? Right? Okay. I see you nodding. That's a good sign. Okay. It's by grace through faith. So who is a Messianic Jew? You know, I never noticed this before, but who is a Messianic Jew? And we've got the picture of one of our Gentile staff members there. (laughs) So who is a Messianic Jew? Well, a a Jewish version of a Christian. So we use the term Messianic Jew. Um, I grew up a bifurcated person. You may not be bifurcated. We used to fight among ourselves when I was a teenager and so on, are you an American Jew or are you a Jewish American? Okay. You know, I don't know if any of you ever did that, but that was a big, that was a lot of fun being Jewish and having, sometimes it led to fists. We were in New York, so no guns. Well, there were zip guns, but no no serious guns, you know. And uh, we hit people over the head with stickball bats. It worked the same. And, and so who is a Jewish believer. Who's a Messianic Jew? Jewish believer in Jesus, Jewish follower of Jesus. The main point is this. Because the Jewish community's number one objection is that when you believe in Jesus, you're no longer a Jew. We're very sensitive to this. So in the nomenclature, we like to forthrightly say we're still Jewish. We believe in Jesus. He's the Jewish Messiah, not just the Gentile Messiah. And we still have a Jewish identity, whether that is expressed through going to a Messianic congregation, worshiping on Saturday. They're not bound by the law, believe me. Uh, most most of them, are. I mean, not, none of them would believe that. Everybody would believe you're saved by grace, but there is an active attempt to maintain your Jewish identity in one way or another. And, uh, and we promote that in chosen people. And so uh, today is, uh, you may not know it, but for me, it's kind of special. Uh, Today, today, or tonight, because the Jewish day begins at night. So tonight is the eighth day of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the extra day, according to uh, the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. There's an added day at the end of the seven days. And this is called, if you want to know the Hebrew, you can Practice it at home. Shemini Atzeret. Yeah, uh, it's the eighth, the eighth day, and uh, and so it, it's. I live my life around the Jewish calendar. Uh, if you work for Chosen People Ministries, you got you get a great deal. So if some of you want to come to New York and work for us, it's really good. You know, I see two two young ladies that can come work with us in New York. You know. We have a lot of Ukrainians there. And so um, in Chosen People Ministries, you get the Jewish holidays off and the Christian holidays off. (laughs) Really good, huh? Yep. And uh, so uh, am I a Jew or a Christian? Yes. Um, In the normal, usual sense of being a Christian, of course I'm a Christian, you know. But... Do I always call myself a Christian? Well, if I call myself a Christian to my family, then, then they're going to say, ah, see, you're not a Jew anymore. As if a name makes you something, you know? And uh, they were first called Christanoi, right? In Antioch. So it's not, even a, it's not even a major name in the New Testament, you know, that you're a Christian. And, but we're Jesus followers. or Little Christ is really the best way to put it. Um, So uh, one of the great experiences I had was going to Bible college. So I was a brand new believer. Um, You know, I I did stop doing drugs. Actually, I stopped doing drugs the day I got saved. Never touched another drug again. I was just at a a mission in Bridgeport, Connecticut. I've been waiting for years to do this because I went to the University of Bridgeport in Connecticut, which Robbie knows well and I dropped out of the Bridge, University of Bridgeport. I was there for two months, I think, in college. I was 17, in and out, you know, blew all my Bar Mitzvah money, but I but I left. And so I went to the Bridgeport Rescue Mission. A good friend of mine is leading it now, and I begged him to let me preach to the guys and gals. And he said, sure. So I, I preached to about 100 people, and there were Clients and staff there, and for the first time ever, this is just a couple of months ago. I got up there and I said, "Dear friends, it's been almost 53 years, and I've been sober." <laughs> 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 and I, I said, "And I've been waiting 53 years to say that. <laughs> said, Who am I going to say it to? You know?" And then they all stood up and started cheering. <laughs> You know, it was kind of a cool moment, and I said, "And believe me, if I can do it with God's help, you can do it." And it was a nice moment, but um, the Lord um, uh, delivered me f- from from that lifestyle. Um, but He didn't deliver me from being Jewish. Being Jewish is something I am, and so. We always like to make that point. And I hope you don't think it's being divisive where we think we're better than Gentile Christians. I don't know any of us that would actually... We are, it doesn't even enter into our mind. All we're trying to do is respond redemptively to the opposition we receive from the Jewish community. And it's true. I live my life according to the to the holidays. And every last one of them points to Jesus. So they're great. So where are the Jewish people today? Between 14 and 15 million Jewish people in the world. America is right behind uh, Israel. Israel is uh, is is probably now approaching 7 million with all of the um, folks that have made aliyah or immigrated to Israel. An interesting number I think you'd find is that right now in the war between Ukraine and and uh, between Russia and Ukraine there's been about just under 100,000 Ukrainians and Russians that have moved to Israel. Um, But 65,000 or 70,000 are from Russia. So there are more Russian Jews moving to Israel as a result of the war than Ukrainian Jews. Part of that is the deep loyalty Ukrainians have to Ukraine. But we're ministering to all of them we had a we we've had unity retreats we didn't know what to do really because you know we even on our staff when the war started, we have about thirty five Russian speakers on our global staff, and you know some are from various parts of the fo- former Soviet Union, a lot of them are from Ukraine and you know we didn't know whether or not they talk to each other you know it's been very tense because even within own Within families, there's been a lot of disagreement uh, over all this. It's been a very tense time. But we've now done three unity retreats, and we've brought Russian new immigrants, Ukrainian family new immigrants, parents and their kids to retreat centers in Israel. And we've had 100 each time. So we've just done, we've had about 300 in these retreats. And they got along well and bunches of people got saved. So we're happy campers. So we're doing a lot to try and do that. And uh, uh, New York, there's over 2 million Jewish people. Southern Florida, 6. Well, L.A., 500, maybe more. Philadelphia, Chicago, you can see that. France, Russia, Ukraine, those numbers are changing a little bit. Canada, U.K., Australia, Argentina, my wife is an Argentine Jewish person. You haven't lived till you've heard an Argent- till you've heard a Jewish person speak Spanish the way my wife does. Uh, South Africa, about 75,000, and I just threw this in here for comparison. Taiwan has 300. <laughs> See, Houston has a lot. <laughs> um, but Taiwan has about five to 10,000 Israelis that pass through. Taiwan every year after the army. And Chosen People has staff in Taiwan. And we rent apartments in Taiwan. And Israelis who have just gotten out of the army get free housing, tours of Taiwan. They Israelis love anything Asian. And so uh, we have a wonderful ministry in Taiwan. But regularly there's only about 300 Jewish people. So, just some things about the Jewish people t- uh, to help you understand them. But I, I, I think I'm going to just take a quick break and see if there are any questions on what I've said so far, or anything else you, you say. Um, we've got Mitch for a little bit of time here. Maybe he knows this. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. If I don't know, I won't tell. I'll tell you I don't know. Any questions so far? Okay, let's go on. So now, Jewishness and religion. Most Jewish people are non-religious and are secular. That doesn't mean that they don't have a strong Jewish identity. It means it's expressed culturally, nationalistically, through Zionism, for example, or uh, some other way. So again, just because a Jewish person doesn't follow the Jewish religion doesn't mean that they don't strongly identify as a Jew and it doesn't mean that they do not have strong objections about Christianity because they were raised to believe that Christianity is a chasm away and antagonistic to Jewish people. Secondly, most Jewish people have not read the Bible um, that now when I say the Bible there's only you know there's only one part <laughs> so th- there is no New Testament. Jewish people, you understand that. And uh, third, many Jewish people are intermarried. This is particularly true in Texas, particularly true in a number of other states. It is not as true in New York City, and it's definitely not as true in Israel. Uh, There's obviously very low levels of intermarriage uh, in Israel, but there's a lot of intermarriage. Intermarriage does not have the stigma it did when my parents. Uh, at my parents' generation. Uh, My generation also also started going down. Today, there's not a lot of stigma. And there used to be conversion um, of one of one of the spouses to the other spouse's religion. And so there was a lot of stress that if the woman was not Jewish, there was a lot of stress from the families for that woman to convert so that the children could be Jewish. But even that's not as strong uh, anymore. And most Jewish people do not attend synagogue regularly. Synagogue attendance is probably about 20% of the Jewish population, and it won't be every week. Uh, most Jewish people have never heard the gospel and know very little about Jesus. That's pretty neat because that means you're probably telling them something they haven't heard before, which is it's great. Now, you might say, well, it's a Christian country. Brothers and sisters, how can a country become a Christian? How do you baptize a country, you know? People have tried, I guess, but, you know, this is not a Christian country. We're a country. We have a lot of Christians, but we're not a Christian country, you know? People say, well, we have Judeo-Christian values. Okay, yeah, our legal system does and other systems do. But do Jewish people just get a testimony of Christianity well, the gospel by osmosis because they live in America. No, no, not at all. That would make life a lot easier if they did. You know, don't Christians listen? Don't they listen to KHCB? You know, don't they listen to Christian radio? Did I get the name of the station right? We have a regular radio program on the station. So I just wonder. So, I mean, Jewish people, when, when I remember as a kid that Billy Graham used to, Uh, have Crusades on Channel 11, WPIX, in New York, okay? It was the same station that the Yankees played on. (laughs) It was awesome. The Yankee games. So, quite honestly, as a teenager, a lot of times my TV in my room, when I eventually had one, which little one, you know, it it was on Channel 11. So sometimes I would turn on the television, and I remember it. I mean, I'd see this guy preaching, yelling at people, you know, is what the way I envisioned it, you know, and telling them that they need to believe in Jesus. And I listened, you know, for about a minute, and then I just I turned it off, you know, waited for the Yankee game to go on. And so it's, it's just because you live in America doesn't mean you're going to hear the gospel, you know. By the way, one of the great honors of my life, greatest honors of my life by far, was Billy Graham preached in my borough, Queens, New York, uh, for his last public message. And he did it on on a weekend. And his last one was on Saturday. And for some reason, I got to pray before he preached on Friday night. So let's just say I came a long way. So most Jewish people have never heard the gospel. They don't know much about Jesus. Most Jewish people have never read the New Testament. When I say most, I would say almost none. (laughs) I mean, we still think it's a Gentile book that's, you know, banned in in one way or another. Um, And by the way, we're translating this banned book into the Yiddish language right now because we have some ultra-Orthodox Jewish people that are interested in the gospel, and we need to give them a current Yiddish translation. And so we're in the process of of doing that right now. Most Jewish people think that believing in Jesus and being Jewish is impossible. I think the best way it was put to me was by a member of what was then the JDL, the Jewish Defense League. And uh, we were handing out tracts, and they were yelling at us, and Few people were punching us and things like that, and uh, one guy got up and in a bull—he had a bullhorn. He said, "Being Jewish and believing in Jesus is like eating a ham and cheese sandwich at a bar mitzvah." <laughs> I mean, that gives you an idea, you know, of just how far how far it is. Um, so uh, what do we do? Um. We have to be understanding because the Crusades, the pogroms, the which were in Russia, where the majority of the Jewish people were, the Holocaust, of course, Jewish people felt was perpetrated by Christians. I just had we we had our high holiday services in Manhattan, and there was a uh, German couple that came to visit, and uh, and younger couple, maybe in their thirties or forties, and. Uh, he came up to me afterwards and said, can I can I talk with you? His English was not bad. And he said, could I ask for something from you? Now, I knew immediately what he wanted. And because uh, we have a lot of work in Germany, particularly among Russian Jews, and I've been there many times, preached in a lot of churches, and this happens a lot. And he said, would you be willing to forgive me for what the German people did? Now, I've done this many times. I didn't used to do it on my first trips. Robbie, maybe you'll understand this. I don't believe in substitutionary repentance or forgiveness. I, I, I don't see that in the Bible. And so I I used to try and deflect the whole thing. Yes, God forgives you, but they really wanted me to forgive them. And uh, I, mean, I, I won't go into it, but I, I've heard terrible, terrible stories, you know, particularly from... Anybody over 80 was really terrible. You know, I was conscripted to bury Jews in pits. I mean, it was terrible. People, and this was a Plymouth Brethren guy, I mean, living with such guilt because they believed that Jewish people were the chosen people, and they they were forced to do this. You know, one guy came up and told me about his grandfather who was forced to do that kind of a thing, committed suicide. You know, he just couldn't take it. So... This guy's younger generation, he says, "Would you forgive me for what we've done?" I read this book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called "Life Together." If you haven't read it, it's a really good book. He wrote it while he was in prison. And Bonhoeffer said, "Sometimes we need to be one another's priests." And now, for some evangelicals, and that sounds like a Catholic thing, but for Jews, we invented priests. We even had a high one. And so I don't think of it in those terms. I, th- I think about Levites, you know, and so on, and, uh, and offering sacrifices for people. And so uh, he, Bonhoeffer said, sometimes we just need to forgive one another or intercede for one another. and You know, it made sense to me. And so I, I repented of not allowing people to repent with me. And uh, so when this guy said, "I'd like your forgiveness," I said, uh, "You know, you have God's forgiveness, and and you have mine also." And he was released right in front of my eyes, sobbing, and you know, in the middle of Manhattan. And uh, and so true Christians. Who are German Christians? They feel a lot of guilt. Um, I'm very sympathetic. They're my brothers and sisters. So do I forgive them? Well, of course. They, they, would they have chosen to do it? You know. So it's, you know, it's a complicated thing. But the Crusades were horrible. The pogroms were horrible. The Holocaust was horrible. Jews think everything was done by Christians. So how are Jewish people supposed to feel about Christianity? You understand? It's it's in the blood. It's in the DNA. Solomon Grazell a Jewish historian, said that the history of Jewish-Christian relations is written in blood and punctuated with violence. That's a perfect articulation of how Jewish people feel about it. Now, <clears throat> again, most Jewish people, because of all this, are not um, just don't believe in Jesus, but it's not necessarily for religious reasons. And uh, again, most Jewish people don't know much. So you don't have a blank slate because you're dealing with people who are sort of anti-gospel, anti-Christian. But there is sort of a blank slate because they don't know much. And so how do we share the gospel with Jewish people? Well, you understand that the gospel never changes. First Corinthians 15:1 through three, Jesus died for our sins, and rose from the dead, according to the scriptures. So there's no doubt that the gospel is unchanging. We believe in his death and re- resurrection. However, receptivity to the gospel always changes and it changes with every people group culture, heritage, religious outlook. There's so many things. Um, uh, My secret dream is that God would call me to be a Baptist pastor. I would love to be able to just witness to people who are not anti-Christian. They're just unsaved. And they even understand the words. Boy, what a life that would be. But then I think about the committee meetings. So... But receptivity changes. And so we are preaching an unchanging eternal gospel message. But we're preaching it to people who are part of a variety of cultures, of which cultures are also in flux. They're changing. And so we have to really understand people. That's why you should always, you know, stay close to missionaries. Uh, you know, sometimes they're a little lone wolfish, they're a little, you know, they're entrepreneurial and kind of weird sometimes, honestly, some missionaries. But uh, missionaries are very tuned in to the culture, and to where people are at, because we're always trying to find new ways to take the unchanging message to a changing world. And we spend a lot of time thinking about that. Uh, so be personal with a Jewish person. Build a friendship. Friendship is the bridge upon which the gospel crosses. Share your testimony. You know, Jewish people think that Christians are all born that way, just like Jews. So when a Gentile Christian talks about being born again, you know, first of all, Jews don't understand what you mean by that. Nicodemus didn't know, you know, he thought you had to have a physical rebirth. Jewish people have not changed all that much when it comes to being born born again. We don't really understand it. But if you share your testimony of how Jesus saved you in one way or another, I mean, even if you're raised in a Christian home, how God's made a huge difference in your life, share something personal. Uh, Jewish people will be very open to hear it, by the way. You know, if you just know a Jewish person, your friends and say, you know, the Bible is very important to me. I love the Bible of your people, the, the Jewish Bible. And they say, really? I say, absolutely, I do. I do. I, actually, the Bible and the story of the Bible and actually the Jewish Messiah changed my life. Boy, not by now you got them. You really do. You just have to be bold enough to get there. But you really have them. And so you got two minutes? I'll tell you the story of how it happened to me. You've immediately gone from football to gospel. You know? I mean the most difficult thing is is trying to get to it, right? Get to the point. And it's hard. Uh let them know how God is working in your life today. Today. You know? Uh can you walk up to a, a Jewish person and if you're friends with them and say, Hey, I read one of your Psalms this morning. <laughs> I wish I was a Gentile, but I read I read one of your Psalms this morning. Oh, man, it really spoke to my heart and gave me peace and comfort. And the Jewish person's looking at you. said, so can I read a couple of the, of the verses to you? I'm sure you know them. And uh, can I read a couple of the verses to you? What's the Jewish person going to say? No, you can't read my Bible to me, you know? And so... You know, but it, it's, it's just such a lovely, gentle way to get the gospel into play. You know, if, if your first words are, can I show you why you should believe in Jesus? Because if not, you're going to go to hell. Okay, is, do you have a couple minutes? <laughs> it's probably not going to be as effective. But, but you've got to build it precept upon precept. Take your time with Jewish people. We've had thousands of years of rejecting Jesus. You know, give us a break. You know, we need a, we need a moment to process this. And but but these are great ways to do it. Jewish people respect religious people. That's something we're taught in the Jewish community. We might say, I'm not like that guy dressed in black with the beard and with the long curls and the fringes, you know. Kind of a fanatic to me, you know. I'm not but I respect them. I don't believe what they believe. They're a different kind of Jewish, but I respect them. There's always that underlying respect for devout people within Judaism. No Jewish person says a negative thing about a rabbi. You'll never hear it. It's just un-Jewish. So we esteem our religious leaders. We don't want to follow them. (laughs) We don't want to hear what they have to say most of the time. But we esteem them, even if it's from afar. And so... um, They're going to be okay with you saying spiritual things, especially, you know, if if it's favorable towards the Jewish people and it's your own experience. How do people counter your own experience, huh? It's not easy. I was talking to a really, really brilliant Jewish guy yesterday in his late 30s who's just become a believer, and he's been reading all the the classic atheists, Richard, Richard Dawkins and all these other guys, and... And meanwhile, while he's reading all these atheists, you know, he's ex- even though he's brilliant, he's a PhD physicist, you know, even even though he's he's reading these people and he un- he understands them better than I do, you know, the atheists. And he says, but God's been revealing himself to me. I've been experiencing his presence. You know, it's like, you know, you know, on the one hand, he's talking about the traditional atheist arguments, and he says, you know, they just leave me empty, but I'm experiencing God, and so I want to believe in Jesus. It's like, you know, have you thought this through? I want to tell them, you know. But how do you, how, how do you counter a person's experience? The most brilliant atheists in the world who aren't so brilliant, but 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 they can't, They can't cut it compared to what God can do in your life. It's just, even classical atheists will just, they'll just leave you high and dry. We know that, of course, we know that. But it's nice when you see an unbeliever or a new believer know that too. You can't be reading one thing and experiencing another. You're not going to go with what you read. You're going to go with what you're experiencing. And he loves the Bible. So find a way to have more informal contact is also important. Be loving. Always show love and never lose patience. Uh, Like I said, Jewish people have been against Jesus for a long time, so they have a long way to go. So go slow and always be loving. Love always wins the day. Always. Um, And so does food, by the way, just so you know. And I want you to know your pastor took me out to a taste of Texas, so I am now his lifelong friend, okay? So, but food does work. When I was visiting this Christian commune up in the state of Oregon to try and talk my friends out of believing in Jesus, the couple that ran this commune, there were like 40 people there, new believers. It was just like the Jesus Revolution. It was nuts, But, but there was... But, you know, this couple were one. They were trying to keep it sane and, you know, keep it biblical and everything else. But they were just so loving. And, uh, and the, the food just won the day. Love and food, you know. So search for needs that Jesus can meet. Pray with someone. Jewish people in the synagogue will pray for the sick. So praying for the sick is a part of synagogue liturgy on Saturday. Not that every Jew goes to synagogue, but it's not something that's out of our wheelhouse. It's not that foreign. So if somebody says to you, and this, I always do this, with a non, particularly with a Jewish nonbeliever, if they open up and they start telling me about their kid or their parent or whoever or them, that they're ill, I'll say, can I pray for you right now? They say, what, what do you mean right here? I said, yeah, yeah, can I just pray a quick prayer for you? Because I believe God can heal sure, <laughs> you know. And then I pray for them, quick prayer. And I said, would you mind if I tell my friends at my church to pray for you too? And they said, what are they going to say? They say, yeah. And then, you know, every once in a while, report back to the Jewish person, say, how are you doing? Because we're praying for you and my folks would like to know how you're doing. I mean, it's like, you never, that's mind boggling. We pray a liturgical prayer for healing, which makes it part of the Jewish worship. But we don't go that far. You know, so it's, it's great. So search for needs. You need a job? Let me pray for you. Try to decide what school to go to. Can I pray that God gives you wisdom? No Jewish person will ever say no. So the love of Gentiles is what is least expected. So, and then be bold. The offense is not you. Jewish people are what I call pre-offended. It's like pre-washed jeans. Jewish people are pre-offended. You didn't do it. You haven't been alive long enough to have done it. Okay? So Jewish people are pre-offended. We are upset about what happened historically. And it's possible you could become the lightning rod for all the evil medieval Christians who persecuted Jews, and for Hitler himself. It's possible. So just weather the anger, because they'll, they'll quickly figure out it wasn't you. You just stand there and say, but I didn't do it, <laughs> you know. Uh, so Christianity is viewed as harmful. Be gentle, bold, and persistent. Your Jewish friend must see the difference between real Christianity and what Jewish people have been taught to fear and reject. That is so critical. And you can make that happen just by being yourself and just being authentic uh, as a believer. Don't try and cover up your weaknesses. Don't try and cover up anything. Just be yourself. Yourself as a born-again believer is so different for a Jewish person to handle that you don't have to do anything because you will naturally just present a fragrance of Christ and then finally be prayer filled pray and prepare before you witness not by might or by power but by my spirit saith the lord it's the lord who always goes before you and after you and gives you the words to say just ask him and he'll fill your mouth pray for your jewish friend pray with your jewish friend prayer is never offensive to a jewish person And the last point I just want to make is that prayer shows a Jewish person the transforming power of God. That you're inviting God into the everyday difficulties we face. That is so powerful. Um, There's a lot more where this came from, but, you know, Pastor Robbie's going to have to invite me back. You know? So, do you have any questions? Or are you just simply astounded by it all? You know, We have one in the back. We have right. one in the front. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah uh, can you hear me? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, <clears throat> one question for you. I'm just curious. You know, when you're dealing with uh, uh, witnessing to Jews, do you ever uh,
1: do anything with Ephesians 2.15, where it talks about Christ abolishing the enmity between... Absolutely two two. not. That's a... Never. No go. Okay. You know why? Jews don't read the New Testament. Ephesians 2.15 means nothing to them. But, um, and 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 sometimes that's a difficult passage for Jewish people particularly more secular Jewish people, to wrestle with because they're not Torah observant. And so, I mean, their answer to you would be very polite. They would just say, if you just talk about the concept and don't use the verse, but you would just say, you know, you can have a relationship with God without having to keep... We would, And I'll give you a tip, you can use this. Without obeying the 613 commandments... <laughs> which is what Jewish people have somehow reduced it to or whatever. I've tried to find all of them. Robbie knows where they are, but I, I just don't know where they are. But 600, so you don't have to keep all the 613 commandments because that would be exhausting, you know, uh, to have a relationship with God. You can have a relationship with God, you know, uh, fresh and personally and so on. So, so you, can, you can give them the concept, but do it a little bit differently because they're probably not Torah observant and they're not going to read the New Testament but there's a way to get that truth there you know and uh, if anything uh, I would read Jeremiah 31 31 through 34 the New Covenant sins forgiven the law written on your hearts that'll be a little more understandable to a Jewish person so I hope that helps yeah next Um. Are there any kind of differences
0: in the between uh, Sephardic Jews and Ashkenazic Jews
1: when you're witnessing? Not when you're witnessing. When you're relating to them, yes. Uh, it depends where they are, where they live, and so on. Uh, Sephardic Jews in general are more traditional than Ashkenazic Jews. It's just kind of a rule of thumb. And so, for example, France is a very secular country. It has... Uh, the third or fourth largest Jewish population in the world. It's actually 60% Sephardic, 40% Ashkenazic because a lot of the Sephardic Jews were in North Africa, so they were in Tunisia and Afghanistan and other places. And in the 50s, that fell apart, and a lot of the these Jewish people moved to France and intermarried a lot with Ashkenazic Jews. And so I've been at so many Friday night Shabbat dinners with Sephardic Jews where there was almost nothing religious about it. But they would never miss a Friday night with their families. That was a religious commitment almost to have the family over on on Friday night. And so, you know, there are some cultural differences. The other difference with Sephardic Jews and with some... uh, FSU, former Soviet Union Jewish people from the Stan countries, is that they they feel more comfortable around Muslims than they do around uh, Christians. So their view of objecting to Jesus because of being mistreated by Christians is sort of different because they come from more Muslim countries. And so they were mistreated by Muslims not as badly, but they were mistreated by Muslims, but it doesn't have anything to do with Christianity. So they're not as endemically ingrained negative in the same way as Ashkenazic Jews who are European. So those are just some subtle nuances that, you know, it's a good question. Thank you. Other questions? And by the way, the Sephardic Shabbat dinners are better than the Ashkenazi. And
0: Sephardic aren't divided up like Ashkenazi are. You don't have reformed, conservative, orthodox.
1: You don't. You just have clans.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You show the differences, but they all try to get along together. All right, well, Mitch, thank you very much. Can I just make one more thing? Yes, please, and he has a book table out there, so I do. say something about the book table, please.
1: Okay, we have really good books that are heavy, and I don't want to schlep them back to Brooklyn, so I need you to buy some books, okay? But we've got some more academic books, some not-so-academic books. Uh, my book on Isaiah 53 Explained, I think, is a pretty good book, and we've... Um, a lot of Jewish people have have come to faith through Isaiah 53 explained. Just had a story of an Israeli guy who picked up one at one of our youth hostels where we uh, invite Israelis to stay. He read the Isaiah 53 explained book and got saved. Unfortunately, some of our staff say to me, in describing this whole situation, say, you know, Mitch wrote the book. Mitch wrote Isaiah 53. So. We, we're working on that, Robbie. We're working on that. It kind of lowers my view of inerrancy, but, but we're working on it. Uh, so if you have one of these brochures, all you need to do is just tear it like that, okay? And then fill this out so that uh, we can come to your home every month for dinner. And um, I'm not going to say what kind of barbecue I eat, but uh, many different types. But so if you can fill this out, and at the table, or leave it at the table. We'd love to send you the Chosen People newsletter and prayer letter, and it's pretty good stuff. And uh, and there are some samples out there too. And you can get that, and you know, and, and pray for us more effectively. Okay. Uh,
0: if you're not here because we have a lot of people who live stream, they may want some books. You can go to the website chosenpeople.com, chosenpeople.com, and there's a lot there, one of the fascinating things that you'll find on their website is they have a lot of testimonies that you can listen to of Jewish people who have uh, come to trust in Christ as savior and it's just it's a it's a tremendous uh, thing to listen to it's very encouraging and
1: actually we have a hundred of them on, on I found Shalom and you can watch a bunch of them it'll bless you but you might find some that might really relate to some of your Jewish friends. So this is a new way of sharing the gospel with Jewish people. You send them a URL of a video. So it works pretty well. Thanks, brother.
0: All right, thanks. All right, let's, let's bow our heads together. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity we've had to think through these issues with Mitch, uh, with Mitch, be courage uh for being reminded of things we've heard before but it's important to get those reminders and uh, just give us opportunities to uh think through how we would uh talk about the gospel talk about the old testament talk about uh these things the spiritual life to our Jewish friends and to be responsive to who they are and build those relationships that we can uh not forget that the goal is to take him across that bridge. And so we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.